Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Hey everyone, it's Reed. Before we get started, I've asked you before and I want to ask you again, join the union.us. This is the single most effective way that you can help us ensure that every last pro-democracy voter gets to the polls this November. Join the union.us. Join more than 60,000 of your fellow Americans and more than 70 organizations from around the country dedicated to fighting for our democracy. Go to jointheunion.us and get involved. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm coming to you solo to give you a few thoughts on the ninth and possibly final hearing of the House Select Committee on January 6th. For context, I'm recording this on the afternoon of Thursday, October 13th, immediately following the hearing. This was the first public hearing for the committee since July when they took a break for the summer. Since then, according to committee chair, Representative Benny Thompson, the committee has continued to compile witness testimony and evidence. The latest hearing featured presentations from each of the committee members and was focused on emphasizing Donald Trump's involvement in the events surrounding the January 6th attack. The hearing also featured new evidence from the Secret Service and new video footage from the day of the insurrection. However, the big bombshell of the day, which I'll get into, was the motion by the committee to officially subpoena former President Donald Trump for relevant documents and testimony under oath. So let's discuss a little bit. First things first, gang, let's remember this. They all knew. They all knew, right? There's testimony that says that Donald Trump said he was going to lie about the outcome of the election if he lost going back to July of 2020. No surprise there. We knew he was going to do it. He knew he was going to do it. Now the entire world knows it. The fact that he was in on it is not a surprise. The fact that so many people came together to aid and abet his desires, I guess even after all this, gang, shouldn't be a surprise. But somehow, after nearly two years since that day, nearly two years after Donald Trump has left office, it still shocks me. It still shocks the conscience of, I think, you know, what I consider to be a pretty common sense American voter. And I think it shocks the conscience of a lot of other people, too. He was never going to go quietly. We know that. We've heard that a million times. But today, what the committee did, which I thought was important, was one, give a recap reintroduce some of the witnesses that we saw either in tape or in person over the summer and just give everybody a quick reminder of Trump's just complete unwillingness to accept reality, even when he knew better, when many people around him, including many of his lawyers and top political aides, were telling him that he'd lost, but they kept finding those people, the Kraken lady, Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, Senator Mike Lee of Utah, you know, and all the other cast of characters around him who knew it to be false but couldn't let go. And then you have a guy like Jason Miller, who, aside from many other things, was a communications advisor to Donald Trump on his campaign, texted Mark Meadows 
to say, quote, I've got the crowd riled up on a website dedicated to believing that Donald Trump had won. Like they were all in on it, gang. Let me move on to the United States Secret Service. As you all know, you've heard too many times, I was lucky enough to work at the White House. When I did, I was what was called an advance representative. I went out ahead of the president a week domestically, two weeks overseas, worked very, very closely with the Secret Service for the better part of two years. What they knew ahead of January 6th, as far as their intelligence reporting, frankly, that of the FBI too, that either went unreported or unheeded is beyond concerning to me. And it shows you that even an organization like the U.S. Secret Service, and let me just say, the vast majority of whom I think their special agents and their uniformed division officers are probably above reproach, was so institutionally afraid of Donald Trump's reaction to the cancellation of an event where they knew that there would be heavily armed people, the reports that there were people with long guns and weapons and devices that allowed for basically automatic fire. As one of the commentators, I think, on MSNBC said, any other situation, this would have caused cancellation of the event altogether, especially with the president of the United States and several protectees around him. But Donald Trump wasn't the only person the United States Secret Service was protecting that day. There's the first lady, some members of his family and the staff, but also the vice president of the United States. And my guess is they didn't tell him about these threats either. And so my question is, and this is a hard question that I think that the Secret Service has to answer, both its current leadership, its former leadership, and those members who were involved at the highest levels, did the U.S. Secret Service under Donald Trump go from a largely nonpartisan agency with a defined ethos to some sort of broken Praetorian guard? Because based on the fact that they knew so much and they didn't do anything, the fact was that they left the motorcade idling on West Exec next to the White House just in case Donald Trump did decide he wanted to go up there. That I guess it was the agents, you know, whether or not Tony Ornato, who was made a deputy chief of staff, even though an active Secret Service agent, which makes no sense whatsoever, or Bobby Engel, the detail leader, finally said, no, you're not going to go up there. I guess we should be appreciative that in that moment they made the right decision. But in the moments leading up to that, the hours, days, weeks, and months of his behavior, they should have known better that their job, yes, is to protect the president of the United States, but first and foremost is to uphold the Constitution to which they take an oath. They put their lives on the line for presidents, first ladies, vice presidents, other dignitaries, but they take their oath to the Constitution. And like so much else with Donald Trump, it all gets blurred. It all gets put in a blender and mashed up together. And I think there's a lot of work that needs to go on inside the United States Secret Service to clean out those people who are partisans. And look, if you want to be a police officer, federal agent, member of the military, you can vote however you want. But when you don that uniform or when you put that badge on, you are a servant of the people, not of any one individual and not of a political party. And I think there's a lot of reckoning to come. And I think it's probably long overdue, but it certainly scared the hell out of me. All right, so let's go from institutional cowardice or weakness to individual courage. And that is in the persons of Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. There was video released, I believe, for the first time today showing them working the phones like the veteran politicians they are, but also the veteran leaders they are, to assess a crisis as it's unfolding and attempt to mitigate its effects. They are calling the acting Secretary of Defense. They are calling 
Governor Larry Hogan of Maryland, then Governor Ralph Northam of Virginia, saying, how quickly can you deploy your guard? Are you even allowed to do that? On the phone with Mike Pence, who, again, I think is risible in many, many ways, but in that moment was trying to figure out how to clear the Capitol and how to finalize the process of certifying the electoral votes on behalf of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. They weren't going to let anything get in their way. Even Mitch McConnell shows up. Who doesn't show up in any of that other than as a weakling running for his life? Kevin McCarthy, House Minority Leader, guy who desperately wants to be Speaker. And so I ask you this question, gang, and talk to your family and friends about this, and even to your non-Trumpy Republican friends, if you live anywhere, but especially if you live in a swing state or a swing congressional district. After you watch that, even if you disagree with their politics, even if you disagree with the policy pronouncement here or there, let me ask you, who would you rather have in charge on that day? Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer or Kevin McCarthy and Marjorie Taylor Greene? Because if they're in charge on that day, guys, it goes way differently, way differently. I'm not talking to you and you aren't probably listening. It goes very differently. And that's where this stuff matters. When we talk about democracy, why does democracy matter? Democracy matters in those moments that we watched Pelosi and Schumer. They understood the gravity of the situation. They understood what they were facing. They understood the danger. They did not shy from their duty. And they understood, as Speaker Pelosi even said, we have to finish this or they will win completely. She knew the stakes. She knew the stakes. And at 80, a grandmother, she's got bigger balls than any Republican out there, maybe combined. And I'll tell you this, there's probably a lot of disagreements I've had politically with maybe something Speaker Pelosi has said or done. But I'll tell you this, God bless it, that she was sitting in the Speaker's chair that day. And I think if nothing else, she and the Democrats deserve to go back to the majority in the House in the United States Senate, if nothing else, because, guys, they are one of the last lines of defense in our American democracy, because we can all imagine if it hadn't been them, who would have been and how it would have come out and it wouldn't have been good. So let's talk about something I mentioned at the top. And I thought that the way they did this was very important. First, when they said that they were going to subpoena Donald Trump, they had the clerk of the committee read it out, read out the sections of different resolutions and the different rules of the House so that everybody understood that there was a process here. And I think that's important. The next most important thing they did was they took a public vote up and down the line. I, 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 everyone on that dais voted I to subpoena Donald Trump. Now, he's not the first president subpoenaed, Clinton and Nixon, and then there was one more who I can't remember. It might have even been Thomas Jefferson. It's unusual, but it's not unprecedented. But I thought it was important the way they did it. And I think it also was important politically because they put Donald Trump on the spot once again that said, you're not off the hook, pal. You're not off the hook. Come up here and talk to us or do it on video. I don't care. Because here's the thing is that Donald Trump is not a man who could tell the truth if his literal life depended on it. And they know if he chooses to go along with it, that he will certainly lie about everything. And if he doesn't, he's a coward. No, he's a coward anyway, but it's a brilliant political play. And I think it's very, very important that we give credit where credit is due to this committee and to the staff, attorneys, and everybody else who have done this in such a way to make it both understandable and compelling. Because as much as I would like to believe that as a country, 
will believe this stuff on the merits. The truth is, gang, we love a good TV show. Americans love good TV, and this committee provided it, and they provided it in an important and continuing way. If they have additional hearings, I expect we'll see the same. Let me say that one more thing about this, too, is that they had Liz Cheney bring up the resolution for a subpoena. They didn't have a Democrat do it. They had a Republican do it. Liz Cheney, who I think, along with Adam Kinzinger, they have become the national faces of what conservative but American means, not Republican. They have gone out of their way. It has cost them their political careers. They face death threats on a daily basis. And like Obi-Wan Kenobi, now that they are leaving office, they will become more powerful than Donald Trump or any of the ultra MAGA goons can possibly imagine. And that is in the pro-democracy movement, and that is a good thing. Lastly, what does it all mean? What does it mean for November 8th here, three and a half weeks away? I think it means, gang, that it's a reminder to a lot of Republicans and to a lot of independents. Yeah, I'm unhappy about inflation. Yeah, I'm unhappy about gas prices. Not a huge fan of Joe Biden. But you know what? At the end of the day, who are you going to put in charge of the greatest country the world has ever known? Are you going to put people in charge who you disagree with, but you can at least put your head on the pillow at night and say, we'll wake up in the morning and we'll have an argument about things that matter? Or do you want to put people in charge who you know already said their two main things, Republicans in the House, these are their two main things, Hunter Biden shutting down the government. That's it. Those are the two things they care about. And I guess we could add impeaching Joe Biden and or Kamala Harris, but that's their policy agenda. That's their agenda for 2023 and 2024, gang. That's how they see it, not as governing, but as ruling. And we cannot allow that. And so as I wrap up here, first and foremost, I want to say thank you to everybody for listening. We're about to pass 29 million downloads since we relaunched in January of last year. Cannot imagine it. Cannot say thank you enough to everybody. Cannot say thank you enough for the work that so many of you are doing. If you want to do more, join the union.us, lincolnproject.us. Find out if your local electoral officials need help. Poll watchers, poll workers, call your registrar, call your secretary of state, see what you can do to get help. Guys, we're coming down to where the rubber meets the road in democracy, and we can't let up one second. Until then, gang, thank you as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln. And for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. Also, be sure to check out our growing LPTV lineup, including The Breakdown with Tara Setmayer and Rick Wilson, which airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. We're speaking with Lisa Senecal and Maya May, which airs Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, and Lunch with Lincoln, which airs every Monday at noon Eastern. Plus, we'd love you to check out our newest show, The Game We're In, with Maya May and Trigby Olson, which airs Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. All shows you can stream live on The Lincoln Project's YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter feeds. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. 
I'll see you on the next episode. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.